You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We talk about our stories, our journeys, the old stories that we are overcoming about ourselves that we make up, right? Doubts, the fears, all of it, how we get through life and claim our joy, our worth, our enoughness, all of it. On today's episode, I have Elizabeth D'Auto. I have watched Elizabeth go through lots of different changes, but from the moment I met her, I was like, huh, there was just a spark there. I love how she shows up in life. She's one of those people that has a vibrant energy. Um, you'll see in this conversation, lots of laughs, and we get into a lot of conversation about what's been happening in her life and the journeys she went from like selling knives to teaching and empowering women to embody who they are and more. <laughs> Let's get into the episode. Hello, Elizabeth. What's up, Trisha? <laughs> <laughs> I have to be like, but yeah, why didn't I just even start there in the like <laughs> pausing to make sure your name when I first met you, you went by Liz, your account names were Liz, yeah, yep. and a couple years ago, literally almost five. Wow, five now, 2015. You, what happened? I wanted to upgrade to my full ass name, you wanted to upgrade, it's a queen's name, bitch. <laughs> But where did that come from? <laughs> well, first of all, you know what it was? I found out that Elizabeth means God is satisfaction. God, goddess satisfaction? God, God is satisfaction. satisfaction. Mic up to your mouth. I <laughs> 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 I don't know if I had been a sound engineer for so long, if I would care, if I would really, even if I want the quality to sound good, but if I just can't, I'm like, what are you doing? Can you please? <laughs> Mic up to the mouth. <laughs> please, please don't remove this from the episode. I won't. <laughs> um, yeah. So I found out that the full name means God is satisfaction, but also I had turned 30 and I was coming into, uh, I just felt like it was more of like letting go of being like a girl or being in my twenties and like really kind of embodying my womanhood. I wanted my full name. I didn't want anything about me to be abbreviated anymore. Oh yeah. That's interesting. When you, so that's like, I don't have a name that was really shortened. I mean, Trisha is my full name. So some people did call me Trish, but it didn't really like ever stick so i actually don't even know i'm assuming with most people have names that can be shortened it's not like you i'm sure some people are like no i want to be called liz but was that something you actually chose early on in your life or did everyone just choose to shorten your name for you actually when i was really little they want they tried to call me beth oh. and when i was about four i put the kibosh on that i was like nah when you're four four oh are you surprised <laughs> yes and no because now like having a daughter who's almost four like I guess, yeah, I could see Zia being like, don't call me that. <laughs> yeah, just being like, I don't want to be called this. But it seems like, you know, a lot of kids just be like, okay, what a, okay, that's what Yeah, and me. so I don't, I don't necessarily remember. I think it was second grade maybe when I was like, yeah, Liz is fine. Did you choose that for yourself or that was just other people were throwing it out there and you're like, I approve? I don't, I think it was more of an I approve because my family always called me, 
after I said Elizabeth no back, is a long name. I can see so, where people want to And there's so it. many nicknames for it. There's a whole bunch. But after um, after I said no to Beth, they started calling me Lizzie. So then Liz made sense out in the world. Got it. And so random people don't get to call me Lizzie. That is reserved for my family. And my family still can call me Lizzie. Everyone else, it's Elizabeth. Thank you for attending my TED Talk about what to call me. <laughs> and what did that feel like to then declare for yourself, all right, I'm taking my full name back, and then to like initiate that in the world with people that knew you? It was fine because two years prior, I had made a big transition in my career, which was a lot about embracing and embodying like the fullness of who I am and a fuller expression and deepening my work with people um, to go from being just a fitness person to doing deeper embodiment work that was more healing and growth oriented and incorporated a lot more than just working out and what to eat. And so it kind of just felt like a next step and no, people were like, oh, this is cool. And then it sparked a conversation around people getting to choose what they want to be called, birth names, nicknames, another really cool conversation about uh, people who have names that are hard to pronounce Mm. here in the US, typically, right? That's usually going to be some kind of name from a different culture that people here find hard to say. So I learned a whole bunch about how people choose to approach whether or not people can say their name. And even like literally to this day, I still have some people who will call me Liz and I'll be like, hey, it's Elizabeth. And it's also really fascinating to see how people are like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Or they'll be like defensive or say something weird. And I'm like, no, I get to, I get to choose what I want to be called. And then as well, my own consideration of making sure I say other people's names correctly. Um, if I'm not sure what someone's name is, I'll double check and things like that. Yeah. Do you prefer to go by this or this? Especially when I have people coming into my programs and my work. I really double check because I want to make sure because so many people actually shared that they'll just they're just like, you know, whatever, just call me whatever. And I'm like, well, do you actually have a preference you just don't want to speak up for? And a lot of people do. Yeah, which that's true, because I like I said, some people have called me. Trish. Some people will say to me when they would get to know me or working with me or in, in some way, you know, would be like, is it Trish or Trisha? And I'd say it's Trisha. But they'd be like. Oh, can I call or like it depends because sometimes people ask in a way where I'd be like, you can call me Trish, but my name like but like you can call me Trish, but my name is or like I don't know. I would say it in a way where I was sort of like, it's okay if you call me Trish because some people have called me that and it doesn't matter. But I'm like, but I that's not what I go by. (laughs) Or like, you know, sort of like because it's like it's okay. But yeah, because yeah, because most people didn't, but there's sure for sure people, and I think some of them are like were even like more male, older, whatever. Because I worked a lot of those, and they were just hey Trish, and it never seemed felt to me like oh don't. Well, that's don't the call thing. me that. People calling me Liz now feels like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like so, I wasn't bothered by that, but if somebody gave me the is it, and I was like, it's a hundred percent Trisha is my name. Yeah, if somebody calls me Trish. It's okay, but I'm telling you my name is Trisha. <laughs> <laughs> this is also reminding me of like at some point last year, this was a while ago, I was on a date with this guy and he started calling me babe. And I was like, hey, I just met you. Don't call me babe. He goes, okay, babe. And I was like, and we're done. <laughs> what do you, he was just like doing it or did I wonder if he, he just on, so was like did so it on purpose. Didn't, wow. Like he was it, was, it was like a power move type of like, I don't give a what you just said to me and I was like okay see ya literally wow. 
like literally the next day I sent him a message. I'm like, hey, like you were fun. Um, I kind of had a good time. And I just, I really didn't like how you talked about women. And I didn't like that I asked you not to call me babe and you went right ahead and kept doing it. So not interested in seeing you again. But when you originally came with the name change, you said for the most part, people handled it okay. Were some people like giving you shit about it? Like, yeah, 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 whatever. Or like whatever. Most people were just like, okay. Yeah. Because I remember when you shared it, you kind of like answered every your anybody's questions of like, why is she making this a deal. I have a background in sales. I'm good at answering objections <laughs> before they come up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. How did you get into? Yeah. So I'm like, I know somewhat your story. Uh-huh. But so you started in sales. Was that when did you like go to college? Did you ever did you grow up with some dream that you wanted to do something? No. Did, how did you land in sales? <laughs> Were you trying to get somewhere else? Oh, wait till I tell you this. I was in college. Um, Somewhere between my freshman and sophomore year, actually the summer before, I had seen an ad for a job, but the whole interview process seemed really shady, so I didn't go. I was a no-show for my interview. The following summer, I saw the ad again, and I was like, all right, whatever, let me go in for this. Same company. Same company. And it was to sell Cutco knives. But so in that second summer, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I ended up being the number 10 knife seller in the United States of America out of like... 20,000 college students that they recruit all over North America every year. So it was just a summer job. For it you. was a summer job for me, but then actually the company is quite amazing. But that's, it started as a summer job. Summer job. And then I just excelled. <laughs> and um, I went through their management training program. I stayed with them all through college. I worked in their Baltimore office when I was in college because I went to Loyola in Baltimore. And then when I graduated, I ran the Washington, D.C. office for like two years. Which is because so I was running the interview. So it was always hilarious to me because these were things like you just recruit a bunch of people, people, it's a group interview, people show up, you basically do a presentation, tell them about the job, um, how everything works. And then a percentage of the people who get accepted actually show up for the training. Percentage of those people actually finish the training because for real, sales, especially direct sales, isn't for everyone. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, but then, then you have a whole team and it, it was great. I loved it. And I did that. I did it until I burnt myself out. And what were you doing in college? Were you just in college like, okay, I'm supposed to go to college. Were you pursuing anything you were interested in? Well, I was majoring in marketing. Oh, you were. And then what was hilarious is after a couple of years of my Cutco experience, my senior year, I had a sales class and I was like, I could teach this freaking class. It really was. It was that funny because- that was one of the draws of the position, like the experience. They make a really big deal about that in the interview to be like, you know, plenty of people are going to graduate with degrees, but like what kind of experience you actually have and your level of confidence and your ability to work in groups and, you know, all these, these skills that you really do develop, especially communication skills, especially being able to deal with rejection and things like this. So, um, I really did even to this day in my business. I'm still using like even That's being awesome. able to I started doing stand up comedy around a year ago at the time we're doing this interview early June last year. I think I did my first stand up last year on like June 6th. And what I didn't realize was that stage presence is a much more significant piece of it than the actual material. Mm-hmm. And I've been public speaking not, since I was 19 or just being that job. comfortable totally. talking in front of people. Totally. So um, that actually really helped. Like people were shocked. They're like, what do you mean you just started doing this? And I'm like, I just started doing comedy, but I've been speaking on stages to like 
very large groups of people since I was 19 years old. So funny. So when you started it and you you kept with it because you were excelling and you were doing well, yeah. like were you actually enjoying it or was it like, wow, I'm doing good? Both. I'm saying. It was super fun. And it actually just allowed me to be myself in ways that I didn't, I could just really apply myself and be myself. You had to set up your own appointments. And so they were like, you can work as much or as little as you want. Essentially, what you get out is what you put in. And there is a base pay, which a lot of people try to lie about. But I was like, but it was like base or commission and the opportunity for commission. Base or commission. So it didn't get a base plus commission. No. Whichever was more. Any given pay period, whichever is more. Interesting. But the commission possibility was so much more. Yeah. You would want to be motivated. To so sell to get the commission. That first summer at 19, I made like $19,000. And you just cold calling people or? Setting up appointments. Yeah. So I would call everyone in my high school directory when I was done with my high school oh, directory. so they're not even giving you call no. these people. No. You make your own. Like this is part of training. You make this whole thought jogger list of like all the potential so you're people selling that you call. to your community directly. Yeah. Yeah, it's direct marketing. Yeah. And then you're getting referrals from all these people. In some ways, that would make me more uncomfortable. Yeah, this is why a lot of people don't do it. It's just (laughs) literally not for everyone. But I was like, what the hell? But I think one of the things that helped me is part of like the pitch when you're calling people is like, hey, I'm doing this summer job. I get paid either way, but I do have an opportunity to win a scholarship. And for me, that was real because the top 25 or 50, I don't remember, top whatever number of reps in the company each season do get a scholarship. So I won a $1,000 scholarship that summer. So actually, as I was calling people, I'd be like, and by the way, I'm currently ranked number six in the company. So you're really helping me out. And it was true. For a lot of people making that call, they were saying, I have a chance to win a scholarship, which was technically true, but there was no chance in hell that they were in the running. Right. I was literally in the running out of the gates. So it, but, was awesome. so it wasn't just about the knives. It was like, hey, don't you want to help me out? Yeah, it was that too. But then also the knives are the bomb. Like we're sitting on my couch right now. You can see them. I've had the same set for 16 years That's now. pretty impressive. You know? Like they're amazing. The company, we would go every year to visit the factory. It's in Olean, New York, which is like an hour north of Buffalo or something like that. And the people who work there are lovely. They sound like Bobby's mom from Bobby's World. They're frigging adorable. They love what they do. So it really like you feel good about working for this place. And they're... The products have a forever guarantee. So like literally a couple of years ago, I was like, ah, oh, these things are kind of dull. I just sent them back. They sent me new ones. That's pretty epic. It is. So how, where did that then go? So I burnt out because it's, it's one thing to be a rep and make your own schedule and set your own appointments and have that flexibility. It's quite another to be a district manager and be running an office. Yeah, totally different thing. Like you think, oh, I'm moving up on the company, which you are, but you end up doing something different that might. Yeah. And I knew exactly what it was going to be because I did management training for three years and I had run a branch office the summer before where you open an office just for the summer. Wow. And um, But I was not great at managing the money of it. And also my territory, they've not put another district manager in that territory since because it's really hard to run. Mm. So most of the reps are coming in in that area are going to be coming from um, like Southeast DC and PG County which in some of those areas, not all, and certainly it's been a long time now, so it might be different, but just a lot of lower income people who um, the reality is that the knives are quite expensive. Yeah. And so they had a, a real difficulty. And so it was, that territory was really hard to run. And then right next to it is like 
Northern Virginia, which is super wealthy, yeah. Rockville County, which is super wealthy. And so it was, it was almost like an unfair disadvantage for a territory. So I think they just let those other territories absorb Washington, D.C. Because it was basically like they had tried it before. And my division manager was like, well, if anyone can do this, it's you. And so they put me there and it really, I just burned out. So you could have easily integrated back into the company in some other way, but you choose, chose to do something else or what happened? Uh, that's a good question. I was done. Yeah. I was just done. I didn't want to anymore. And um, so I decided, I also like, didn't think I wanted to be in charge. I'm like, I'm, I'm done doing my own thing. And so, and I also wanted to move. It actually coincided when I was quitting also coincided with a breakup. So I was living outside of Washington, DC. And I decided to move back up to, I moved to Hoboken, New Jersey, outside New York. And I'm originally from New York. Mm -hmm. So I really, I was like, I'm just going to get a job. They've been, this company has been telling me for five years that this experience, I can get any kind of job I want. Oh, So I'm like, I'm just going to go get a job. And I did. I got a recruiting job that I lasted at for two weeks. Wow. <laughs> because what was funny is when you go through that kind of training and you're, again, you're an independent contractor, you're doing your own thing. And then as a manager, you're recruiting and training a sales force. Like, it's actually pretty badass at uh, 22 or 23 years old, however I was when I left. And then I go into this corporate environment where like everyone is doing the bare minimum. And like, this was really funny. So this company that I started working at, there's all these like training videos and things you're supposed to do. It's supposed to take you two weeks. I was done in three days. And immediately that meant everyone hated me because <laughs> they were like, who is this bitch? And why, like, why did she do like, why? <laughs> So it was it was funny because like the every couple of days, my manager would like call me into his office and be like, you know, uh, it's been brought to my attention that you check your emails in the afternoon. And I'm like, listen, I don't know what to tell you. I'm done with my work by three o'clock and I'm trying to figure out what to do till five. <laughs> to, oh, like that you check your personal emails yeah. or something? Because like, I was like, what I'm do you done mean? done with my work. Problem? I'm literally done with my like, there's nothing else for me to do. Like, I'm, and, and I need to be here for two more hours. Like, I don't know what to tell you, bro. Yeah. And then, or they'd be like, well, I noticed you don't really go to lunch with anyone. I'm like, can I get an hour to myself? Like, <laughs> I noticed you don't go to lunch. You with know, anyone. like, really? Is that part of the job description? <laughs> Must go to lunch with the people in the other cubes? <laughs> so I quit after two weeks. I was like, I'm not doing this. And then I got a job selling uniforms to like hotels and like Broadway theaters and stuff in New York City. So like front desk or like the yeah. housekeeping department or like the maintenance people. So I'm like schlepping uniform samples all oh, you over have to Manhattan. Like go oh there yeah, measuring people. Oh wow. So <laughs> one of my clients was the Nederlander Theaters, which is like nine major theaters, like where Wicked is, yeah. where Hairspray was, and um, you'd be measuring like the whole like Usher staff. Oh my goodness! Wow, yeah. it's a lot of inseams, Trisha. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny job. And then I was like. Uh, so at the time I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey, <laughs> and I would work out every day. Like I was super into fitness. I had been for most of my life. And one day I'm at New York sports club and the manager is like, have you ever thought about being a trainer? And I was like, how's that work? And then basically I just became a trainer and I quit the sales job and took like a $60,000 pay cut. That was a good job selling uniforms. I was, sales is good money. Yeah, I guess so. What um do you know, like whatever sparked your interest in fitness? You know, you didn't you didn't set out to be a trainer, but you said that you were really into fitness. 
Well, and I was used to, so with my Cutco job, I was recruiting and training and teaching and coaching and mentoring people all the time. So fitness was just a different expression. Of I mean, something. why you personally, like at that, were you, Oh, why you personally got into fitness? One, oh, like in my own life? Yeah. Uh, it's very simple. It was 1994 and two albums came out that year. Crazy Sexy Cool by oh. TLC and Janet Jackson's Janet album. And it, you may those recall came out in the same year. their wow. abs in all of those videos were ridiculous. Yeah. So your 12-year-old friend uh. here growing up on Staten Island was like, yo, how do I get my stomach to look like that? And I started working out. I mean, I had always played sports anyway. I'd been playing sports since I was eight. So four years later, when I was 12, I now became interested in fitness because I wanted those abs. That's it. Got it. And so you like went through college, went through whatever, and you were committed to your fitness Mm -hmm. and stoked about it. Yeah. Did you have abs? I did, girl. Yeah. I had some visible abs. I still have abs, actually. Now they're just under stuff. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) We all have abs. I was just like, yeah, I was wondering if you like got the abs. Oh, yeah. So you were working out. Getting yeah. result, results, which is probably also why the Listen, guy I didn't have like T-Boz and Chili's abs, but I had some abs. So he said, have you ever thought about being a trainer? And you just were like, hmm, okay. Yeah, I got certified. I would apprentice. The funny thing, so the uniform sales job, I was an outside sales rep. So I could like leave the office for the day, let them think I was at appointments, but actually just be scooting back early to New York Sports Club. Oh. Doing my apprentice hours. That's what I did. And how long... Did you end up being a personal trainer? Yeah. And I taught group X classes too. So I, I taught total body conditioning classes. I taught spinning. I taught Zumba. And was that all at that the same gym where the guy asked you if you'd ever want to be a trainer? That's where I started. And then eventually I moved on. I went. To, I decided to do a semester of grad school for exercise physiology because oh. I really wasn't making money as a trainer. I was struggling pretty much the entire time. And so I thought I would go into corporate wellness. So I was like, let me go to grad school. And, um, but I didn't even finish that one semester of grad school. It was so boring. I thought I was going to die. But you must have enjoyed te- doing the fitness thing if you Love. were doing it instead of not going back to sales where you could have been easily making the money. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So you were loving it. Well, because I also realized, and this was the difference in sales, I wasn't helping anyone. It didn't feel to me like that was like helping anyone's life be better. Right. In fact, in a lot of ways, I was like, I'm just suiting people up for the job that they hate. Right. But the uniform. Yes. So, but even like, even with Cutco, like those products, if, if anyone listening like has a family or you do the cooking in your house, actually good knives could save you tons of time Yeah, and safety and just actually make this thing you do every day enjoyable instead of feeling like a chore or a slog. So people really did like love their freaking knives. And then as a manager, again, just like training reps and mentoring people and having a team and building community um, that was helping people. And so I realized I need to be in some kind of profession where I'm helping people. And how did you grow? Because when I first became aware of you, you were, I, I think it was right when you were starting to change your business. But when I remember, I, the first time I ever went to your website was very much like fitness. Yeah. Abs may have been showing in pictures or just, I don't know. See, you knew I had abs. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember that your was abs. a while ago Me now, too, girl. So you got Me very too. into personal training, and like, did you have an aunt? Like, yeah. So in you- 2009, I started a blog. Okay. 
And uh, and then in 2010, I got connected. Actually, you know what it was? One of my clients at New York Sports Club had gone to grad school. Do you know Alexis Wolfer? Yeah. The beauty bean. She connected me to Alexis. She was in grad school with Alexis. And so I started writing for some of these online magazines. And you know Nitika, right? Yeah. So I wrote for the beauty bean. I wrote for You Are Bella Life. And, and what were you, what type of things were you writing for them? Fitness stuff, like making workouts or like health tips or got it. eat this or, you know, if you don't have time, do a couple of squats in the shower in the morning while you're rinsing your shampoo. Like, got it. That so kind of stuff. fitness tips, mm-hmm. fitness, about, health, like how to get more fitness. Wellness in. oriented things. And um, so I started a, a Facebook page. And then, so in 2010, also uh, my friend Sarah Jenks had introduced me to Marie Forleo. I didn't know who that was. And I went to Marie's Rich, Happy, and Hot live event that fall. And actually at that event, I decided to quit grad school. And my thinking was, I was going to spend this money on grad school anyway. I'm just going to do this mastermind thing that Marie is talking about, and I'll learn how to run my own business. And the rest, as they say is history. <laughs> <laughs> but the people listening might not I know, know, I, know I know, I know, I just really wanted to say that. <laughs> I was like, okay, but we're going to need to know some more. That but <laughs> we need to know the history. <laughs> <laughs> so when you did... <laughs> Tough crowd. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that was great, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's not good enough for me. Okay. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> At that time, was that then B school or did she have an actual mastermind? No, she had a mastermind. She was still doing it. Um, okay. So I did her mastermind in 2011 and 2012 was the last year she did it. So B-School was part of the mastermind, but we okay. did three retreats that year. And at that time when you were saying, I wanted to create your own business, your intention online was- Online fitness. Online fitness. So that would be like creating programs mm-hmm. for like people around the country, like sort of like- Yep. Yeah. They didn't have to train with you one-on-one. They could like totally. subscribe to yeah, a digital program fitness or something. Yeah. YouTube videos, all these kinds of things. And through that work with Marie, I got connected to a lot of like online entrepreneurs who- yeah. If anyone's familiar with those people, like you would recognize a lot of their names, Amy Porterfield, James Wedmore, um, Melanie and Devin Duncan, Stu McLaren, like all these types, Laura Roder, Laura Belgray, all these types of people. And so a lot of them really helped me get my start. And I did. I created my very first program. Marie helped me name it. It was called Tighter in 10 Days. Makes me cringe now. But tighter in 10 days. That's where I was at the time. So that would be some, that would be like the program. Somebody would sign up like, Ooh, okay. I want to do this tighter in 10 days program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I did that. I did online fitness stuff for a couple of years and then, and um, did that work well for you? Yes. I know because there was always like a lot of, I'm just going to call it douchey marketing stuff that I wasn't willing to do. I wasn't willing to like Pray. That you were being told like, okay, you have an online business. This is what you should do. This is yeah. what you're supposed to do. This yeah. is how it works. Because for me, I was like, cool. For me, fitness was always a way to feel like strong and powerful and good. Of course, I was driven, especially at that time when I was much younger, really driven and my identity was really hitched to physical looks yeah, and appearance and like working out and all this stuff. But also as I was uh, training different clients and stuff in real life, I was noticing that under the hood, there was a lot, there's always a lot going on for people. Oh, yeah. So people could be working out and eating everything they were like, air quotes, supposed to eat, but anything, mental, emotional, 
in their relationships, financial, at their job, if something happens, they could just be knocked off the bandwagon so easily and the results would be out the window so fast. And I just became a lot more interested in what was going on under the hood for people. And that as well, it wasn't just enough of like, okay, no, we're got your getting your body in check. Come on, you're supposed to do these like yeah. do these things yeah. that you were seeing like great. So even though we got working on their body, like there's other yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I on. got really interested in in subtle body stuff and energy healing and those types of things. So I did a couple of those trainings. I became a Reiki master. I started studying the law of attraction, which at this point, you know, I have a deeper understanding that's more social justice informed about how like the law of attraction really has some gaps that are really a privileged, lightwashed and non-inclusive. Um, still some good basic principles, but like there just is more to it. So um, I've just been able to incorporate all these other things. And then also a fascination with psychology, archetypes, femininity, because that was another thing. At the end of my mastermind with Marie, one of the pieces of feedback I received was that I needed to soften. And I was like, what does that even mean? Mm. But it was really because I was just very much in the masculine, which is really how our culture is, right? Like we're taught how to like hustle, excel, achieve, like hit this accomplishment, bigger, better, faster, stronger. And I just, no one really teaches us how to be like softer, like more creative, more receptive, these types of things, which some people don't love the gendered terms, but I'm just talking about energetics. Yeah. What did they, or what with the feedback of being softer, was it like in, like for you, like personally, were they saying in how you're running your business and your marketing? Was it more applied I to think like everything? I think everything there, it was just like this, like pound the pavement, like New York city chick. There, part of it was because they saw it. They were like, yeah. there's actually so much more to you than this like spunky fitness chick. Got it. You know, um, there is a much softer side. Like you're so caring. You're so nourishing. Like there's this like amazing, like mama bear energy about you that like your people need to feel that because that's like the real you also. Yeah. You know, so they just wanted me to like integrate all of who I was, which ended up taking me a couple of years. And really, that's also part of what led me down this like, okay, well, what does that even mean? And then, you know, reading books about like Hindu goddesses of yoga and being like, oh, I'd been a tomboy always growing up playing sports and being athletic. I didn't think I was feminine or girly. Uh. But then there's like this picture of this Hindu goddess Durga with eight arms and she rides a lion or a tiger. And in each of her hands, there's either like a weapon or some some kind of prayer beads or a lotus flower. And I'm like, oh, this like dynamic warrior goddess thing that I can relate to, mm. right? But the more like a, a daintier, you know, our culture really honors the like the maiden, like the pretty or girly or um, what's the word? It starts with S, submissive or subservient, know your place kind of feminine um, or like object, like hypersexualized or super yeah. virginal innocence, right? There's like just a handful of things. Mothers obviously revered. And so there were all these things that are like kind of put on a pedestal by our culture that I was none of. So studying the archetypes, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I actually am feminine. It's just in this way that no one tells you about. And I wonder how many other women might be a little more in like a fierce expression or mm. just a combination of things and not even know. Yeah. And they might feel ashamed too. Or they, they might be getting this feedback like, oh, you're so intimidating. It's like, well, I'm mm. not. I'm just not like what this culture tells you it was okay for a woman to be. Yeah. Interesting. 
Like I definitely uh, could see some things in myself in that, but I don't, I don't feel like I ever struggled with it, but I definitely was like, oh yeah, I'm tomboy. I'm like guy's best friend. But sometimes I want to be like feminine and I love a dress and that's cool. And then the other times I'm like, especially like my life became, I was like roadie jeans. You have to like very masculine. I'm lifting the heavy shit. I was like a female in a man's world, but then like day off, cool, wearing a skirt and a dress. And like, I don't know. I think I definitely can be, you know, yeah, I don't know if I, I'm sure there's must be some way I might've struggled it, but maybe I didn't. And I was just like, okay. But that also comes with my at 15 when I almost chose to end my life that I had that early on being like, life is so hard. I have all this physical pain. We have all like so much pressure to do these. What am I supposed to be? What do like? And so maybe that's the reason I didn't struggle with it is from having that at 15 where I did like choose to be like, all right, I'm doing it my way and I'm not going to care anymore. Like what music am I supposed to listen to? What am I supposed to wear? What boys am I supposed to like? And of course there were levels of caring. Right. Always, but like really freeing myself from a lot of the shit that weighs on us as teenagers and 30 year olds and 40 year olds and like everything. And so I'm like, I wonder if that just broke away from that was like, whatever. Cause I definitely still struggled with things growing up. And I'm like, that's one thing I felt like I was okay with. Like, yep, I can be a tomboy and I can be this girl and I can have feminine energy and I can have masculine energy and cool. I think part of my inner conflict came from having a body uh, that is viewed as very traditionally feminine. Like I started growing boobs in the third right. grade. I have like, I'm Italian and Puerto Rican. Like I've always had an ass. So I've always been curvy. And so when I was young, I would cover it up. Like Did you always feel like t-shirts. you're like objectified then? Yes. Because yes. I've n- never had large boobs. And I always with, then wanted them though, probably because right. I, they would maybe make me more feminine right. or more object. Ad- I didn't want to be objectified, but we do. We want to be admired in some yeah. way. So, so that, yeah, I didn't have that experience at all. I'm a very young age being sexualized and objectified uh, before yeah. I was like emotionally or like maturity wise ready for that. And being like, I don't, I don't want any of this. So yeah. there was a part of me that actually had rejected femininity in response to Got it. it being placed on me in a way that I wasn't ready for, didn't ask for, um, and didn't want at a time. Yeah. And then I just absorbed that into my identity. No, I, I, I totally can get that. Yeah. Yeah. And then actually when I was a trainer and I started just exploring different types of class, taking some dance classes, um, took taking salsa lessons because I'm half Puerto Rican. I always loved the music and really wanted to know how to dance. I took some pole dancing classes in New York these these more feminine types of movements, more nonlinear types of movement, um, more sensual types of movement, that like also really awakened something in me that was like under there, like in there and the, like a core integral part of who I am, which is very much baked into my work now. Yeah. So then what, how long did that take where then you created Wild Soul Movement was the next thing you did, right? Or was there something in between? No. Uh, uh, the one thing in between, I did a couple collaborative things with other people who did energy healing kind of work to combine the things, to do a little more like holistic. Okay. So like uh, there was this thing I had partnered up with a friend on and we called it the Complete Body Program. And she taught more on like the subtle body stuff. And I taught more on like the physical health and fitness stuff. Okay. So there was like a little bit of a transitional period there in 2013. But then by the fall of 2013, I was ready to leave fitness and like retire tighter in 10 days and like really develop Wild Soul Movement. And so the point of Wild Soul Movement 
which um, for anyone listening who doesn't know, it's a movement practice I created. The whole point is to help women get out of their heads and into their body. So it incorporates sensual movement with mantra and meditation. And there's just one mantra for each practice. And the idea is that it's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, metaphysical practice. It's very efficient. I'm a Virgo, all in one thing. And it uses movement. When I say sensual, I mean literally activating the senses. So slower, sometimes we're shaking or self-massage or padding or you know hip circles, a lot of circular movements, things that are not meant to exercise. It's not meant to like burn calories, literally just moving the body for the sake of having the experience of being in your body. I call it learning how to speak your body's unique language of the senses. So you can tap into your intuition. You can learn how to trust yourself, heal a lot of healing. A lot of trauma gets stored up in the body. A lot of emotions are stored up in the body. So it's really, you know, so many women especially live from like the neck up. The body mm. is this thing that they feel like they have to drag around <laughs> or that is a massive inconvenience for whatever reason. Wow. And so it's about kind of flipping that. It's a we, massive inconvenience. That's how a lot of people feel about their body. I get that. But like, can you give an example of some, how someone would think that? hundred percent. A lot of menstruating women oh. having a period is an entire inconvenience. Yeah. Some people, um, by the way, I'm not shaming anyone's choice, how they interact with this. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, no, I just like was like, I felt like that people could resonate, but that if you like give even more examples, oh, of then course. like so, to, for people to like, oh, okay. Well, and it's even packaged and sold to us as an inconvenience, right? Because all of like the feminine products, what are the commercials? Or like, plug it up so you could go rollerblading. Like, right. <laughs> or like, even though, like use shaving this, your legs. Use this thing and... so it doesn't bleed onto your pants. Like, you know what I mean? Or, you know, you want to go, you want to go laugh with your friends, implying that you can't laugh with your friends if you're not using a tampon, you know, like there's all this messaging about like that it's a bad thing when really when you're tapped into like the cycles and seasons of your body, it's like your body's way every month to say to invite you into some downtime and like deeper reflection time and, you know, slow down a little bit, take a little bit of a rest. You're more intuitive at that time of the month, like you're more sensitive at that time of the month. Mm -hmm. It could be a really useful period of time if yeah. you will allow it to. Right. If you um, choose to see it. That yeah. Way if you want to. And again, it. you don't, you don't, you're under no obligation to. <laughs> and I'm not making that a better choice <laughs> than like make it go, like get on a pill and make it go away. So you never get it. Like th there's a spectrum of choices, whatever resonates for you, you know? But it's nice to know that there's a spectrum of choices. Yeah. Rather than just like the way we've kind of been taught. Like some people call it the curse. Oh, right. Right. I love getting my period. I love taking like, I have a couple friends who have written books about this. Elisa Vitti, Woman Code. Uh, my friend Lisa Lister has Love Your Lady Landscape and Woman Code. Oh no, what's Elisa's called? Uh, Code Red. Elisa's uh, book is Woman Code. Lisa's book is Code Red. And um, they're just about interacting with the menstrual cycle in a different way. So that's one way. Or, you know, for me as a person with who's always had big breasts and was athletic, that's an enormous inconvenience. Yeah. Like, how am I going to get these things? under control and out of my face and out of the way, right? Or, you know, people who struggle with food, any kind of food addictions, disordered mm. eating, then it just becomes this preoccupation all the time with how this thing you have to do every day, which is eat, is going to affect your body and how you feel about your body. Right. You know what I mean? It could be so distracting and it can feel like an adversarial relationship instead mm. of something that is like this gift. Like, you are only here because you have a body. Yeah. This is what is allowing you to be here on the planet. 
like no matter what's going on, even if you have chronic illness or pain or you're injured or something or depressed and chemical things are going on, like it's still, it's still really sacred. It's yeah. still a work of art. Like there's so much, like the female body creates life, you know? And I know not everyone listening, perhaps you're outside of childbearing years or maybe you're unable to for some reason. And so that's not meant to shame or trigger anyone either, but like in general. Yeah. So powerful. And again, that's not really the message we get. The message we get is shave it, clean it up. It needs to look this way. It needs to be desirable to others. Like those things are sold to us as much more important. Right. And it feels that. like it's either hide it or show it off too. Right. And like and then never like it just embracing it. what that means. Yeah. Right. But like yeah. you're going to need to hide that or cover that up or yeah, why are you wearing up. that or, or maybe wear this. Pretend or, that's not happening because we think it's gross. Or like, oh, yeah, then you want to show off your abs. You want to show off. Yeah. Your- yeah. So many things p- packed up into that. So it's really about like building a relationship with the body. How did you get from there to there? From the physical? I mean, I know you had the softer. Okay, you need to be softer. You were starting to learn more, whatever. And then how did you then be like, I'm not no longer putting my work into physical training, personal training, physical fitness, but to getting into the body. This was funny. So I was out in LA and I had met a guy named Brett Hobel and he's a lovely dude. I'm still friends with him. He was, he had been a trainer on like one season of The Biggest Loser. Okay. And so they had asked him to be a judge on a panel for some like online fitness reality show. It was kind of like American Idol meets Shark Tank for fitness, where you were like competing with other fitness people to design a class and then they would like create a whole brand around it and whatever and blah, blah, blah. So he was like, oh my God, I'm doing this thing. You should totally try out. You should be on it. And I was like, okay. So I was on the plane from from LA to New York and thinking about what would be my class and the idea for like the first iteration of what would, what would I would later like hone and develop um, with a couple of different beta groups and would become Wild Soul Movement, I got the idea for it. I was like, oh, what if, what if I incorporated like actually getting into the body, like a little bit of breathing and meditation, and then you work out. And maybe there's like some music. And so you can incorporate like how you want to feel too, not just like the working out part. So that's where like the seedling of the idea came. Because you were given like, I need to create, what will my unique class offering be that's different? It was like every mofo is going to be creating like another high intensity interval training or like this or that or stealing Zumba and being like, let's do cardio fit. Let's do dance fitness. And like with this theme or that theme or that theme, you know? So I really wanted to try to do something unique and it didn't end up being like palatable to fitness, but I was like, cool. I actually don't want to do fitness anymore. Yeah. Then it was planting these seeds of like mm-hmm. exploring that mm-hmm. idea more. And what was the work you had to do then in creating that? Because when you talk about it, it sounds like it take it's taking in so many different things. That, that's how I'm built. It could just be like, I'm just going to say these things and we're moving. But I know that you are like, you wouldn't be saying those things unless you actually put that much intention in research. Essentially, I just reverse engineered my own process from like the moment in 2012 when I was like, I don't think I want to do fitness anymore. And then going deeper into all the other things I was studying and I was curious about. So I just, I synthesized a lot of stuff. And so that, that's really what it was. But my brain loves to take complexity and simplify it in a way that people can use it and digest it. 
So that was essentially the process. I took all these different things that I was doing like my own personal work around. Um, and that's why I did some beta groups. And I was like, this might not resonate for anyone. This might just be like my own path, my own thing. I might be really into this, but who knows? But I did two beta groups with, I don't remember how many people it was. I don't remember if I had two groups of 60 or between the two groups, there were 60 people, but it really, really resonated for people. And so what did you, how did you get the beta groups? And like for people that don't know, a beta group was basically like you Test, testing, test yeah. but they were paying you or doing it for free? No, I had them pay or. because people need to show up, right? Yeah. And if they paid money, they'll show up. So you put it out online to yeah. your community. Mm-hmm. I'm trying this new thing out. Yep. And, um, and then you use that as a way of sort of like a test into Tweaking what you it. will do mm-hmm. and get feedback from mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And the feedback was... Yeah, that was people were like, I never thought about relating to my body this way. And especially coming from me, right? So my audience was people who had come to me to learn health and fitness and right. like working out. This is new. So people but, are only fo- are following you or not only following you, they started to follow you because they're like, okay, she's going to show me new ways to get fit this week right. or whatever. But always in my stuff was also please do this to feel good about yourself. Also do this to feel powerful. Do this to feel vital. Do this to sleep better and do this as self-care. Got so it. So always, you always had messages of taking care of yourself and not like, you have to look your best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was still, that was part of it, right? Like, I'll, I'll never forget one of my tag, like, when something was like, however many secrets to a slamming hot summer body, you know, like, that's one of the titles that, like, makes me cringe now. But, um, yeah, that was the beginning of taking people onto, like, a much deeper journey and cultivating a much more meaningful relationship to their body rather than just trying to like force it or will it to look a certain way for all these external reasons. So it really became an exploration into how do we use our body? Like how do we treat our body as like very sacred and allow it to help us access all these things? Another one of our taglines is everything you've ever needed has always been inside of you. And you really do access a lot of that stuff by learning how to read your body's senses. Like, what are your feelings telling you? What are you literally like the sensations? Like, oh, my heart is clenching up or, oh, I have a, my stomach dropped when that happened. Or like, oh, I feel anxious. Okay. Where do you feel anxious? My chest, like it's, it's fluttering. Right. Or I have tension in my jaw. Mm. Like these things that we don't pay attention to them normally. We're just like, okay, that's weirder, but I've got this or wait, what was I supposed to do? I got to get back to that person and that like that you think it for a moment. I'm feeling this, this hurts, this bothers me. And then you just keep on going through life, moving, doing, oh, I got to do this, that, whatever. And so yeah. people aren't tuning into themselves And you know enough. this, and sometimes that escalates enough to that where people get sick. Yeah. And then they have to really look at and change a bunch of habits and stuff. So I'm like, you, you can, we can preempt this. Yeah, so many people end up, it's like their bodies shut down because yeah. they've been avoiding all of the cues for and so long. Yes, yes, yes. And then as well, um, it also just helps people to acknowledge like what's actually going on. Yeah. Instead of like bypassing and forcing through or pushing through everything. Right. Because that was really one of the like the more like masculine kind of things like force and push, force and push. Mm. Just do more. If I just do more, if I just work harder. Right. Like I can outwork anyone. And it's like, but there's also like ease and surrender and trust and receptivity and these other things that are infused with a bit more grace that are available to us, but they take some cultivating because most people are not even made aware of these things. Not made aware of them. And then probably once 
it enters your mind of that, then there can be, I don't know, maybe shame around, mm-hmm. well, I don't know, am I allowed to do this with ease? What are totally. people going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm lazy or that I'm what too, so- too soft? Right. Or weak or too, that yeah. some people are so identified with being the strong person. Oh, yeah. Right. And that's a major identity. And they they see, like Brene Brown talks about this all the time, they see vulnerability as weakness, not courage. So a lot of this stuff, again, just I'm a big synthesizer, right? Like nothing I've created is not a combination of all kinds of things that already exist. It's just my way of putting it together. And like the practices I've created allow people to embrace and embody these things in ways that are digestible, manageable for them and make sense. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've only done... I just remember years ago trying it and I was like, this is so interesting and necessary and that just a different way to interact with your body and that, yeah, so often movement, like, cause I'll be like, oh, I, these days will be like, oh, I need some, I feel like my body's stiff or something like that. I need some movement. But so often it's just like, so that means exercise. Yeah, or yoga. Like for most people, it's just like, okay, I need exercise or I need this, but that you're still not really tapped into what you're actually feeling. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of it is inviting people, like I'll guide people through a movement practice, but also throughout it, I'm saying, hey, if your body, if something else would feel better to your body, like do that, take a stretch or move differently. Um, Because then that is, again, it's putting the power in your body and it's, putting the impulse in you to pay attention to what your body is asking for. Do you feel like it seems like in this, your work, you're giving like so much permission and allowance and really having people tune in to themselves in ways they haven't even like thought to before. Do you feel like that's reflective on like things that you needed in your life or that you avoided? Yeah. You know, like, Cause I feel like, yeah, like the things I end up creating are like my biggest like wounds, what I'm healing. I call this the law of you teach what you need to learn. Yeah. You know? Um, And I do believe that as any kind of teacher or facilitator, you have a responsibility to maintain being at least a couple steps, if not several steps ahead of the people that you're teaching. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, this was, again, all this was reverse engineered out of my own work that I did on myself. So, cause I'm an experience based teacher. I'm not going to ask anyone ever to do anything I haven't done myself. Yeah. I'm even like, what, how would that even work to ask somebody to do something you haven't done yourself? But I guess that happens. Yeah. (laughs) Like academia. Right, right, right. Like a lot of things are based on concept theory, study, memorize this thing, regurgitate it. We need, sometimes we need that. Yeah. Because we need an education and to know these things. But yeah, it's not just theory. It's like, that's why I call it embodiment work. Yeah. But that's, I'm like, do you feel like there was anything that led you to creating it of ways that you just felt like locked off or like you had to be a certain way or like that you were forcing? Yeah, because I really, especially being a New Yorker, like there's this identity with being a New Yorker of like hustling, Mm. right? And so that was really part of it because there was also a correlation between that I had moved out to California and I had connected more with nature, which is very feminine elements the ocean, the earth, that, that actually made an enormous difference in my life. Um, so there's, it's the practice can also be quite spiritual for people if that's where they want to take it. And so softening into and allowing all these other aspects of life and also myself and my being and womanhood and being in a woman's body 
whether that's by birth or um, someone chooses, right? There's there's just like really a lot of amazing things yeah. about a woman's body. And so I got to connect with myself in so many ways. And I was like, if I'm this disconnected, I wonder who else is. Turns out if you're a this lot of disconnected. So once you moved out here and like creating that connection with the water, the ocean, like that's when you started to see that. More so because you know what I realized one of the distinctions? I thought I was good at listening to my body when I was a trainer and I was into health and fitness. Like listen to your body and meaning like, oh, I can go farther or I can like this. or my. What I realized is that I was good at paying attention to my body. Mm. I need to work out. I need to do this many things. I was good at measuring things and then making my body comply. Okay. But actually listening to my body means paying attention to my emotions, my sensations. How do I feel? Where's my energy? Right. What drains me? What gives me energy? Being around what people? Who do I feel good around? Who do I not? And then I also discovered- So many things. To a big, like really big buzzword, but it's just the fact of the matter. I am so energetically sensitive. I'm very empathic. And I was like, holy shit, my life makes way more sense now that I understand. And through some relationship experiences, I also discovered that I was really codependent. And I grew up in an environment where there was like a lot of violent communication and complex PTSD was a thing. I didn't know. So uh, just- What's complex PTSD? Complex PTSD is when you've been exposed to some kind of stress or trauma continuously over time, as opposed to like a PTSD usually is brought on by like an event, a car accident, being in war, Okay, so complex- Right. Continuously. Yeah. Like someone who grows up uh, with an alcoholic parent or someone who grows up being abused in some other way, emotional abuse, neglect or whatever, that person might have complex PTSD. Um, It's just the the signs. Some of them are similar, but it's not that like, boom, you were assaulted. We can exactly trace this to this instance of your life. Yeah. It was kind of like soaked in over time. Got it. And then what's the codependency? Codependency. Well, sorry, finish your question. No, I mean, you're about to, because that's what, um, it's one of those things where like, I know what it means, but I always like to, especially when someone is using that term to describe yeah. themselves or a past version of themselves, like to see what that looks like to them. Well, truly when your your happiness, your energy, like your okayness is really latched onto other people's experiences is a great way to think of codependency. Okay. So for example, um, When someone's codependent, often they're really trying to control the environment and the people around them. They might think they know better or they might be doing things, constantly find themselves doing things for people that people didn't ask them to do because they think it'll be better. And then being really upset when people aren't like real grateful. Okay. You know, or um, enabling, like you might be enabling someone's poor behavior. Uh, The term originally uh, came about, I think it was coined by a woman, Melanie Beattie. And it was related to people who were in relationships with addicts, most specifically alcoholics, because their behavior, like there is like other people's behavior can impact you without you, like their experience needing to totally, like your whole life revolves around being involved in someone else's experience and like their experience, like impacting yours. You know what I mean? Got it. Versus if I can allow other people to have their own experiences, I'm not codependent. Hey, it's me, Trisha, popping in because I'm so excited to make sure you guys know about my amazing podcast partner for the month of September, Salt Co. S A A L T 
Co. They make a period cup. But here's the thing. They didn't just start making period cups like, oh, that's a cool market. Let's make them. They started their business to give back because one of the owners was traveling in a developing country and saw that girls there, women there, did not have ways to properly manage their periods, which meant girls were not going to school. Women were not going to work. So then they started dropping out of school that they are losing opportunities in their life because of their periods. And that is where the company started. Amazing. Their back to school campaign is about bringing awareness to this period poverty. They're giving away 30 scholarships for 30 days and they are combining with 30 activists on social media each day to do a giveaway on their feed to give away two cups which is super awesome. So you can go win a cup. I, the day this episode is going up, are giving away some on my feed. But with that, to bring awareness to this very real thing of period poverty, to get these reusable period cups, which can be used for 10 years, out there in the hands of these girls and of these women so that they will feel more confident and get themselves back to school and back to work. And legitimately using this period cup has definitely made me confident and more comfortable with my period. It's amazing. It doesn't leak. I'll use it for spin class, swimming, everywhere, anywhere. I really don't even have to change it. I might dump it morning and night, maybe one other time during a full day. Don't have to worry about buying them, having them in stock tampons, you know, all of that stuff. So it's really saved me so much time, so much energy, so many thoughts in me personally using this cup. And so then imagine what that is doing for girls and women worldwide that don't have the access to tampons and pads that we do. It's truly an amazing product, an amazing company. They have tons of information on their website. If you're like, I don't know, that sounds like a good idea, but I don't know about using a cup. They also have a private Facebook group that is all about like opening up where you're like, I don't know, this isn't working. I feel like it's not in right. Totally safe spot. It's an amazing company. It's an amazing mission. Please go check out at SaltCo on Instagram, share their awareness, and you can go to their website saltco.com. Use code CLAIMIT to get 10% off. And hey, they're also on every shelf in your local Target. Okay, they're not on every shelf. They are in every Target on a shelf. (laughs) Let's get back to the episode. So when you were saying you were in a codependent relationship, is that what you said? Or you had codependent tendencies? How did both? So like that you realized that there are places in your life that your existence, happiness, whatever you're saying was dependent on whether they are yes, happy or not. That's how it was. Yeah. So like you could have had an awesome day. You're stoked. You come home. They're pissed off about something. Then it's like, I got to jump on whatever board, boat they're on. Yeah. Or save them. Or save Fix them. It. It's like your Help. job. Yes. To make them be better. Yes. But I'm guessing that never works out no (laughs) she's like i'm guessing but really i know that does not work out right because we can't do anything for someone else like we can't yeah there's also like no you can't love someone out of hating themselves 
No. So how'd you get out of that? Or how'd you see you were even Therapy, in that? healing, learning, unpacking. Like I had to learn what it was. I had to see how it was affecting me, where it came from, and learn how to stop doing that dance. And I learned a lot of this from my friend, Terry Cole, who you know, Terry. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, I worked with Terry for a while. Um, again, just like a lot of reading and healing, energy healing work and things like this. And just learning like, what are the red flags? And again, so in all my embodiment work, it actually went quite quickly for me because of my embodiment work. I was all able to discern in my body, like, what does it feel like when I'm getting too hooked into someone else's experience? And I was like, oh, that's what that feeling is? Like, I've been knowing what that feels like my whole life. I just didn't know it wasn't a healthy thing for me. Oh, or like you didn't, weren't able to name it. Yes. Or be like, yes. You know, like, so for example, when I met my ex, which then ended up being quite a toxic relationship, he was like super narcissistic, emotionally abusive, all these things that I didn't, that didn't register to me as red flags. They just felt normal because I grew up in an environment where some of that stuff was present. I literally remember the first weekend I hung out with him being like, oh, this guy feels like my family. And that being comforting to me because it was familiar. So it wasn't like I grew up in some negative environment and I know this. And so now I'm here and this feels comfortable, but you know, negative. Because you were just like, this is my experience I just thought it was love. I thought that's what love was. Got it. But I was like, oh, this is very codependent. It's just not, it's a bit dysfunctional, not super healthy. You know, the intention is good. It's to love people. Yeah. It's to help people, right? It's, it actually comes from quite a generous, loving place but it's just the expression of it and the approach to it is quite off. So does that mean he's codependent? You both become codependent or like, how do you become? Sometimes, sometimes it's both, right? Like in a codependent relationship. But he you're brought both- that, like you aren't saying you were always codependent and he no, I was, was the one that- I for sure was. Okay, but so he's the relationship that you were finally able to see. This yeah, is what this is. And enough. this is what, how it's been in my yeah. life in all these different yeah. ways. Okay. Because he was- Got um, it. Because I was trying to think like, he made you codependent? No, 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 <laughs> no. He was quite narcissistic. And so a lot of those things, the way, the way that was expressed and a lot of the emotional abuse that occurred during that relationship got me to a place of being like, what is going on? And obviously, like, what is my part in this? Because it's, not, it's never just one person's fault, Yeah. right? Like, I'm, I signed up for this. I'm participating in this. I'm half, I'm half of the situation is coming from my end, you know? So why? Why would I attract a person like this? Why does this work for me? Like what in me that is probably not good for me is this satisfying Mm. in some way, you know? And like Mm -hmm. that's what like therapy and and all the healing work and stuff like that helped me. And then last year and this last year, I've done a lot of dating to further be able to observe myself and notice like, okay, now I can see red flags and I know, okay, that's not good for me, right? And it's even just certain types of personalities or certain qualities in people would I say like, I'm not codependent anymore, but the truth is I can choose. I know who to choose. That's a healthy match like, for me. Oh, I that can doesn't tell. bring out, that- which I really, I wouldn't even be that way anyway. Right. Cause there still are some family members that are still codependent and I just don't do the dance anymore. Got right. It. They'll still do their thing. And I'm like, nah, I'm not, I don't, I don't respond the way I used yeah. to, you know? Yeah. But there are certain types of things that do are very hard for me to interact with and not be at least a little codependent. I would get that. I'm sure it's a, especially if it's something coming from childhood, which I'm assuming that most people that struggle with codependency, it must start in childhood. I mean, most of those things come from family of origin or environment of origin, right? 
how do you, so you keep saying like therapy helped you to get out of it, but do you remember being in it and to like, what gave you then a sort of flag of being like, I, this can't be right. Or like what else is happening? It it was exactly what you said earlier. So my work is so satisfying my life. Like I enjoy my life so much. And I also, I really enjoy being me. Yeah. And so when consistently the one thing that was screwing with my energy and my mood was this person and that you in that I was in a romantic relationship, relationship with. living with his mood swings and never knowing, right? Like what might come up, what might be going on with him. And then that could just like hijack my whole friggin' day. Why am I even able to be hijacked by someone else's stuff? Right. And again, I'm not making it bad because we care about people. Yeah. We want them to be happy. We want them to be okay. But if I'm literally letting it drag me down consistently, that's that's something I got to look at. So it wasn't just even like, okay, I'm recognizing this pattern. I think this relationship needs to end. But why the hell am I letting this happen to myself? Right. And it was really also, you know, Terry is a dear friend of mine. And she was like, girl, we're going to work on this because this isn't I don't want you to choose this again. But that was after was after that after broke you, you broke up? Yeah. So, OK, like literally right at like it was happening. And also it, it had gotten to a point where like some of my friends were like, yo. What's going on? Like, this isn't, this isn't okay. You know, like you're so bright and shiny. Like you're such a vibrant being and you're just like, where is it? Yeah. You know? When people would say that to you at that point, were you able to hear them or were yeah, you sort of being yeah. like, And early no. on, listen, early on when I first started dating this person, a couple of people, my parents included, were like, yo, what's up with this person? And I couldn't hear it mm-hmm. at the time. Because that's the thing, actually, when you're with narcissistic people or full-on narcissists. That first phase of being with them, there is a narcissistic cycle of abuse. And one of the things is love bombing. Like, you've never felt better. This person is making you feel so friggin' special because they are hooking you into their game. Right? And if you don't know how to spot it, and if you don't know what that feels like, then you get hooked. Because who doesn't want to be loved? Like, who doesn't want to feel like the most special person ever? You know? How would somebody, now that you know about that, how would someone be able to see this isn't? I can feel it now. I can really feel it because I can see. Like you can just feel like a bit of a facade. How do you say the word that I'm thinking of? Facade. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) It's also just like a bullshit meter now that I'm like, but, and it's not just based on that. It's also, I've learned how to like pace myself and slow down with people and see that their actions meet their words and also how they handle conflict specifically being called out on something because when the narcissistic person will turn on you is if you've called them on their bullshit because their whole way of operating is based on keeping up this false sense of identity that they have worked really hard to construct right and i have hella compassion for these people because no one behaves this way who doesn't also have a ton of their own right trauma and wounding right so totally again i'm not even being like you know middle fingers it's not like you're evil fuck you no, people it's like no. oh man girl even donald trump that guy is a raging narcissist maybe also a sociopath but like and that wounding like that occurs narcissists are unborn they're made for the most part hmm. yeah okay right so if someone's also like a psychopath or a sociopath th- those are different got it types of things but Usually, if a person is a narcissist, they've been deeply mistreated. Right. Some abused, sort of like defensive mechanism. Criticized totally um, in, their, in their environment or family of origin. So something I say all the time is that explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. That doesn't mean that yeah. we have to tolerate it. It doesn't mean we need to take the abuse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
what did it feel like for you? Because when you were going through this relationship and ending, you were doing the wild soul movement, right? That is all about embodiment mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Do you, did you have any sort of like, were you hard on yourself for no, like, how did I, I really get through this? Or I like, didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know what the signs were. It's literally like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And a lot of women do have this experience. They'll be like, I should have known. Right. I'm smart. I work in this field, but it's like, I'm not a therapist. Yeah. I didn't have any training. I had never even looked up the definition of narcissism before. Yeah. You know, or even or even like emotional abuse. Like I didn't I had had like one interview on the podcast where one lady had mentioned codependency and it didn't even like register for me because I also think, too, I really believe in divine timing. I just wasn't ready. I was about to say, well, like now do you look at that relationship? Well, like, thank you. Biggest blessing. Because now. Biggest blessing. For so many reasons, because first of all, it sparked me going on this healing journey of my own that I had to. And as well, really, it's almost like I now have this like experiential like masters in narcissism, emotional abuse, gaslighting, codependency, these things. And it's just like another thing that I can help women in my community with. Yeah. And also to come back into integrity, because I was quite public with that relationship. And my partner at the time, he did um, men's work. And so I was like, share his stuff and whatever. And, and I really did think that a lot of the times what was going on was not what was actually going on. So part of me coming back into integrity was also once I had like done some of my own healing and processing to talk about these things, to get guests on the show. I had a woman on my podcast named Avery Neal, who has a book called, If He's So Great, Why Do I Feel So Bad? Mm. Right? Which is because a lot of these people, they're very charming. Wow. They're very charismatic. Everyone else thinks they're amazing. But when you are up close and personal, you get to see the dark uh, side. There, it's interesting as soon as you said that, because there's so many people that I don't know personally that I get vibes from that with those people. And I'm like, how do I get this vibe from this person? But he's, they're this, they're so beloved. They have these many followers. Totally. They have these. And I'm like, but I don't feel like I trust them. They're incredible manipulators. <laughs> They woo people, you know what I mean? Do you, do you fall into that even with like so sort of self-helpy personal development totally. world or whatever like that? There's a lot of people whose names that we come to know yes. and then I yes. like respect yes. people and yes. their opinions. And then I'll be like, oh, well, if this person loves this person, they must be awesome. I have felt if that way a lot. this person follows this person, if this person, and then I'm like, but I just don't know. And even in my personal work, you know, I've worked with a lot of people in the public eye that are Mm -hmm. very beloved, that people look up to, that are amazing people that I have the privilege to get to know and work with. And there will be people come into their lives that I immediately feel like, I don't trust this person. Mm -hmm. And then I second guess myself because I'm like, well, if so-and-so loves them and has welcomed them into their life, then they must be good. So Trisha, don't trust your feelings. And I'm always right. (laughs) This is one of the things that I learned. So far, every time that I have been like, I don't know, I don't feel like I trust this person, but I'm going to like, they're a part of this person's life or this person's world. So I'm going to be here. The majority of the time, something fucked up ends up happening. Yeah. And I, but it makes me question myself and my own intuition because these amazing people. Right. Well, and trust is, them, look up to them. This is the call thing them we a friend. don't know. One thing we really don't know is what, like why anyone is in anyone else's life. Mm. Right. Like I had to have this relationship. It was a huge blessing. Look what I got to learn. Look what I got to heal. And look at like, even now in my dating life, the kind of men that I'm attracting are available. Like they want like a full spectrum person, like they're accountable, you mm-hmm. know, they can, they can be in conflict. They, you know what I mean? Or something will happen 
I'm now, I have great boundaries. I'm amazing at having courageous conversations. I was always good at that, but my partner would just, it would become very manipulative and, you know, all this stuff. Did that confuse you? I'm so like, confusing. I thought I was so great at these conversations. So confusing. <laughs> so confusing. But like, they don't go anywhere, right? It's like, I'm moving forward, but the same stuff is happening over and over. That's when I needed to walk away. Yeah. You know, and being like, okay, this is not, it's, there's a difference I also learned between working on something and working through something. Working on means you're a hamster wheel. You're just spinning. Uh, Nothing okay. is changing. Working through it, progress is happening. Even if it's slow progress, but things are changing. Mm. Behaviors and patterns are being broken. The abuse is not continuing. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? love that breaking on because I feel like it's work. I'm working on this. Is can be a very easy statement to lean on, whatever yeah. it is. I'm working on myself. I'm working and on to this excuse thing. Yourself. I'm working on this thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like an easy excuse and like, oh, I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Never feels like I am doing that. Right. Like, well, but I'm working on it. So like, I'm going to let myself believe or I'm going to let you believe. Totally. Have you had Terry on the podcast? No, this is a very new podcast. Okay. So <laughs> she hasn't been in California so far. I've only been oh, in California. Right, right. So, oh yeah, you were telling me that. <laughs> I, I want to share something I learned from Terry and we talked about it on my show. She shares it freely in her own YouTube videos. I just want to make sure to give her credit. She taught me, you know, so kind of like those, you were saying those vibes you get, you're like, I don't trust this person. Mm -hmm. These three questions to ask yourself when you're getting those types of feelings about people is when have I felt this way before? Mm. Who does this person remind me of? Why does this feel familiar? Because then we can sometimes link up to a negative experience or person or place and go, got it. And now we just, that's, a, that's an ability to see a red flag now. Yeah. You know, that's being able to be like, okay. And then what I learned is I need to zoom out and just watch that people's actions meet their words. Yeah. A lot of people, especially this day and age when you can literally learn anything on the internet, know what to say. Yeah. They know what to say. Like there's a whole industry on no knowing how to game women on pickup. Picking mm. up women is an industry, right? And even like all the dating advice and blogs and coaches that are geared towards helping women like land their man, a lot of it is so manipulative. A lot of it is strategies that are not like you being who you are. It's you learning what to do and what to say to get what you want. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's cool. But then at some point, who you really are is going to come through. Yeah. And that's going to come through through your actions and your behaviors, not just words. Yeah. I think one part that's sensitive to me of when I have these sorts of feelings is like, but am I just judging? Like, right. Are you judging? Like, are you then placing them on why? Oh, this is familiar because of that person. But maybe, you know, so it's an right. interesting Projection thing with like trusting, real. like, okay, so I've just had to learn to be like, don't alienate that person or get at them. Yeah. Be it's okay be to friendly, give people the benefit of have the doubt. Niceties, but you don't need to like welcome them into your life mm -hmm. or praise them mm -hmm. or be best friends with them. Like that person's there. That I have this feeling about them, but I'm willing to, you know, yeah, do this because usually it's again, it wasn't my choice. It would be like this person that's now in my life because of shared relationships yes. or I just keep seeing yes. them around and I don't feel like I trust them, but I can't get rid of them, right? Because then it would, unless I was like. Just even if I probably had said like, hey, I don't trust that person. Don't ever talk to them again. They probably would be like, what do you mean? They're fine. Like, <laughs> right. Because they don't have that feeling. Yeah. And, you know, this is the difference between judgment and discernment. Judgment happens in the mind. It's entirely based on evaluating mm. things. Right. This is good or bad. That's better or worse. This, you know what I mean? But discernment happens in the body. Yeah. Discernment, this embodiment, a lot of the work that we do is teaching people like something in your body was like da -da -da, spidey sense, right? Yeah. Like, no. And then you're like, okay, let me pay attention for this. Yeah. Something in me is saying no to this person. 
that like, I'm always going to treat that as valid, but then sometimes it's about them. Sometimes it's about me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not always about totally. like, that's projection, right? Projection is when we're always making it about someone else yeah. and never taking the responsibility, the accountability to go, okay, but why might I feel this way? Right. You know what I mean? Totally. And that's, yeah. So I'm like, I try to like leave space for that. I've loved that as we've talked, you seem to always make space for inclusion and I want to make sure to not alienate this or that, whatever. And you don't seem to do it in any sort of like, oh, softy, like nicey way that I de- generally get from you this great feeling of compassion. Yeah. Is what I would describe it as. Yeah. Where do you feel like that has been cultivated? Honestly, coming out of this relationship, because this person who I had been with was raised um, in a very cultish religion. Oh. And a lot of his trauma came from that. Mm. And so I really did get to see how a person like he was also so great, mm-hmm. um, so good at what he did, so talented, so smart, um, really amazing in a lot of ways and couldn't move past while we were together. I don't know what he's up to now. He's blocked. I don't talk to him and it's been years. So I have no idea what's going on in his life right now. But at the time, actually seeing how someone's trauma could really keep them so stuck and so blocked. And going in and out of bouts of like anger and depression. Mm. And again, I'm, I'm not blowing up anyone's spot because this is all things that he had written about very publicly. Yeah. So I'm not sharing anything that he had never shared. But that and then also simultaneously, I really got into studying social justice and collective liberation and how white supremacy and narcissism operate and racism. Same things, just different context. And again, it comes from like deep, deep wounding, like deep misinterpretations, deep misunderstanding, dehumanizing people. And mm. also it's just kind of in my nature, you know, like I, I'm, I'm about healing. Yeah. Right. I, I believe in love. I believe in healing, not in like the light washed way of being like, just love more than you fear. Um, I loved uh, this person online. I forget who it was. Someone had commented on one of her posts and she was like, okay, but let me put it to you this way someone's like starving on the street, are you going to tell them to love their way into their next meal? Like that's a spiritual bypass, right? We also have to move our feet while we pray. Yeah. You know, we have to like take some action. We have to like get on the ground. So is that, so someone had some sort of like light love post and somebody then commented? No, someone was like given some real talk about like systems of oppression. Oh, so the post was about systems of oppression. Yes, and someone was like, but this isn't very loving. Like we should just, be love. And the person was like, cool. But imagine you're like in the margins in this culture and people like you have to be afraid for your life every time you step out of your house. Yeah. Or like, again, the thing like love yourself into a meal or, you know, you're less likely to get a job or, you know, whatever it is, or you've been gentrified out of your neighborhood and now you have to live three hours away and take a bus to work. You don't have time to be with your kids. Like there are systems in place that make it harder for some people to advance and have access to things and others. Like, that's just a reality. Yeah. It's not being negative. It's just the truth. Yeah. So truly looking at my own experiences and having deep compassion for myself, looking at the experience of the people who had abused and wounded me, and then studying these things on a larger scale in terms of systems was like, all this stuff comes from somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, compassion for me because uh, there's a, a one of the authors that I've studied is Audre Lorde, and she has this quote. It's a longer quote, but the first line of it says something like, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. So it's like, we're not going to fight 
hate and like manipulation and like power over and these crappy structures by just doing more of the same with different language. The master's tools will never never dismantle dismantle the master's house. Interesting. Right? So if we want to dismantle the patriarchy, for example, like male-dominated leadership. We can't use the same tools that created it. Right. We can't use the same actions that created the patriarchy. Love it. Like war. Yeah. Right? So even when people talk about the resistance, what's fascinating is a lot of the actions that come out of that are just like the thing that they're fighting against. Yeah. But it's just different language. So how effective can that actually be? Yeah. It's really fat. Like this this can go way deeper, but- um, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. I also wanted to talk like one of the many things that I love about you is that in the recent months, you've been like highlighting inspirational quotes and sort of breaking them down. Just adding bit, some nuance. Adding context. Yes. Or whatever. Which I like love. And I remember when you first started doing it, it made me question. I remember you sent me a message. It was in a good way, though, because it was like you were like highlighting, Okay, there's a lot of positive, inspirational messages out there, which is great. And they can lead for like what what created you to start doing that? Well, this same thing, right? It leaves out and really denies a lot of people's lived experiences. So, for example, most recently, the one I highlighted this week said something like there are no energy vampires or drains on your energy only things that you continue to choose to give your energy to. And I was like, no, okay. there are energy vampires. So the intention of that post, whoever wrote it or created it, like then they're likely just trying, they're trying to get you to like take accountability, like you're yeah. giving your energy out, which mm-hmm. is like, yeah, you're choosing you where you put your energy, but then you put... It's both, right? So yes, a lot of things are choices. Yeah. But if we're going to look at that, the fact of the matter is some people have privileges that other people don't. Some people have a lot more choices than other people do. Yeah. Right? So if you have a chronic illness or injury or disability or you deal with mental health stuff, guess what? You actually can't choose all the time. If you're dealing with trauma, if you're having a trauma spell, if your nervous system is hijacked, you actually can't choose in that moment. Like. Your, I think it's the amygdala, the part of your brain that goes into fight or flight. If that thing's firing and activating, you're not in the part of your brain that can make conscious, rational choices. You know what I mean? Or say you're someone who has a child with someone who's like an, a narcissist or an addict or some kind of abuser, um, but you share a child with this person. You can't just cut them out of your life. Yeah. Or maybe that's your parent that you rely on financially for some reason. You know what I mean? There's just, yeah. there are situations and circumstances where it's not so easy to choose. Yeah. So to be on some soapbox telling people everything is a choice, most people are not going to look at that and in a really empowered way be like, got it. This person doesn't know what my life is. They're going to be going, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get out? You know what I mean? That's what I thought. So, so it was like, that's when, when I saw that you were doing it, that I realized that it was like, it's not necessarily you're saying that these quotes and phrases are wrong and that nobody can find good in them. Right. But that it was like realizing that sometimes reading some powerful message like that could just actually make somebody feel worse about themselves. A hundred percent. Because then they'd be like, oh, there I get again. I messed up because I didn't 
I don't do this. I don't do this. And instead of letting it inspire them, they're just and then getting harder and harder on themselves. Or they're going to beat themselves into the ground or overwork, especially like a lot of the messaging around hustling. I actually saw an article a couple months ago. I was like dying laughing. The title of it was Gary V is trying to kill you. <laughs> Gary V is Gary V is all you. about like hustle, sleep when, you're, sleep when you're dead. And it's like, no, Gary V, like that works Maybe for I you. Maybe I see the different who's guy. Who's a bajillionaire. But, you know, for people who have all these other responsibilities and don't have the resources you have, they can't just work harder. Yeah. They're not going to be compensated. No, them working harder doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be compensated more. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's interesting. And that's what I was like. I, it made me stop and be like, oh, what what am I saying? Because I do put out some like, get yeah. the fuck out of your own way is like an exact quote of something. And I've sometimes said. we need to do that. <laughs> and that was me like talking yeah. to myself. But I do try to like in the comment will be like, OK, I get that some things are like yes, li- yes, li- yes, li- yes. literally in your way. But for those things that were, it's just you stopping yourself. So I try to apply some yes. context of like, you know, like, oh, the only one, hold, only person that can really hold yourself back is you. I, I have some statement like that. Yeah, I would bust that one up a little Which bit. Which again, yeah. And <laughs> I think that that is something that again, like, oh, that was, it's one of the cards of my affirmation yeah. app. And so like, whatever, I sometimes have looked at it again where I, and I, again, when I've posted that since then, I was like, well, yes, like. There's so many things that really yeah, can hold us yeah, back. So I'm yeah. not saying that there aren't, but I also, where I'm like, well, make sure you don't just blame everything else. Exactly. Like, like I'm in this situation. I yep. am in this living situation. I'm in this whatever, you know, I can't because of situations, whatever it is like that. I get those, but I'm also like, well, make sure that you don't just use all of that as excuses to not help yeah, and support yeah. yourself. And it's it's just very rare that anything is absolute. Totally. You know, and there, and there is, there's just like a lot of these like self-help people who, to be quite honest, are like white, they occupy dominant group, multiple dominant groups. So like white males, for example, or even like there's been a lot of this type of content targeted specifically towards spiritual white women in the last couple of years. And it's, it is, it's like a big, this is a big dominant group that in a lot of cases is a very privileged, right? And when people hear the word privilege and they get super triggered, um, I read this on a meme, so I don't know where it originally <laughs> came from, but I always like to remind people that when people talk specifically about white privilege, they're not saying that your life is easy because you're white. Yeah. They're saying that the reason for your challenges will not be because of the color of your skin. Yeah. That's that's literally, all the, no one is taking away from you that you might've struggled, that you might've been abused, yeah. that some things might be challenging for you or like whatever. No one is saying those things aren't, like no one's invalidating the hard experiences or the trauma that you've had. They're just saying the reason why is not going to be this. Yeah. And actually there's a whole slew of things that you've never dealt with and you never will deal yeah. with. Yeah, like we all have trauma. We totally. all are totally. overcoming. We all have situations. We all have these yeah. heavy things in our minds and of our lives. But then there's all these other yeah. things yeah. So it's, that are out of their control in somewhat in many ways. Nuanced as well. It's like, yes, and both. Yeah. Yes, we get it and, you know? Like no one's denying you this, this or this. Yeah. It's such an interesting world though now because of that, but like everything can then be like, oh, my saying things that are too, am I going to be triggering someone because I'm trying to put We're this power? We're always going to be triggering someone. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, that's like, I'm now like, okay, well, I want to be very clear on this message, but mm-hmm. I also get this, but I don't want you to be putting excuses on yourself yeah. that these are out there or, you know, like yeah. whatever. So 
I'm just inviting people like when I make those types of posts, the hashtags I use are go deeper, consider the layers, more nuance, please. And it's not all self-help. It's not all self-help. What does that mean? It's not all self-help. Like it's literally not like there's more to these things. Right. Oh, sometimes. Got it. Got it. Got it. Like not everything can be fixed with. Yeah. And so for some people and this is there's a reason I don't I don't tag and I actually cut out whose ever post it was. Because it's not about taking someone down. It's not even about criticizing that person. It's just about taking a message and being like, hey, let's look at what else is going on yeah. here. I'm doing that in a different way with my I Call Bullshit. I have mm-hmm. a I Call Bullshit YouTube series. Oh, that's fine. Where I am like calling out things where it's usually something that's holding us back. We're even like, I call bullshit on the quote, choose a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Listen. I haven't done it yet, but I also, <laughs> this is coming soon. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, one that I, people love to throw this phrase around, um, how you do anything is how you do it. everything. Uh, that is so getting, I call Can bullshit. I tell that you? will get, I call bullshit. Maybe I'll, the week this podcast comes out, I'll also do the, I call bullshit on how we do everything is that have, I fuck you. My favorite <laughs> response to that ever I had someone ask me actually when I started doing these posts and was like, oh, my God, can you please address the how you do anything is how you do everything. And I'm like, yeah, here's how I address this. I don't do my laundry the same way I fuck. (laughs) I was like, what two things can I possibly describe that are like any more different? Like, I hate doing the laundry. I do it just to get it done. I don't enjoy it ever. Like. How I do my laundry is not the way that I like make love with someone. You know, I was like telling Jason Mraz before I was starting the series and it was like that's why if you listen to the episode with Jason Mraz and we start to say yeah about that quote and he starts to say oh the how you do everything and I cut him off because <laughs> I had told him I'm going to do a cycle bullshit series and one of the and yeah, I was like yeah, I'm yeah. going to do on that quote and I'm also going to do on how you do everything he likes the on you how you do anything some people do how you do everything and but I was like okay well this is how I see it and that I was like, you know, I was like, I can, I can be very detail oriented with how I want, you know, things to be done and see me. I am, you know, how I'm not detail oriented and then how I put my makeup on. Right. Like I, you would think I want people to see me very well. So I'm going to take a lot of care in how I do my makeup. I have never, I'm like, I do. Of course, I want to look nice. I want people to think that I'm beautiful. I want people to think I have clear skin. I've never gotten a hold of, I'm like, I was trying to put it on and be like, oh, fuck, whatever. That's just good enough. Yeah, yeah. But so what does that mean? Because that's like how people perceive me and that how they see me. That just shows you your values and priorities. But that's what I said. And so I said, so how I do anything is like, I don't really care about my makeup. So I don't put that much attention and time on it. But I really care about like, but I do care of how people perceive me. So like how my website looks. Like I wanted that to be mm. a good vision of mine. It's, now it's black and white. I feel good about it. This, these pictures. But it's both, you know, both of those are physical appearance and how people will perceive me. But it's also who some way more things contribute to your physical appearance than just like the meat suit. Right. But that's you would think like that. I was I was like one example. I was like another thing is like I am not good at doing the dishes like there will be splatters. I think I've cleaned up and there's like, oh, there's smoothie (laughs) on this. You didn't wash that well again. But I can be very detail oriented in other things. Do you know I'm not good at doing dishes because I don't love doing the dishes? Yeah. Like I hate it. Here's some things you might not how you do anything is how you do everything is because it's things that you should do or that you have to do in order for your life to move on and be better. Totally. But you're not stoked about it. Things that you're really great at like like that's so good just- or really care about right like <laughs> yeah. the degree to which you care about it how important it is to you where it falls into your the spectrum of your values 
You know, in some cases, it's whether or not it makes money and helps you pay the bills and support your family. Yeah. You know, there's a whole there's slew so of reasons things. why. I have that quote has always befuddled me. And but because so many people praised and loved it and have shared it, then it would make me be like, oh, is this am there something hiding in that? This so is how, a lot of people. How is this one thing that I'm doing show up and how I do everything? <laughs> I th- and now I just gonna be like, well, fuck that quote. OK, I don't have to buy into it because a lot of people don't do the inquiry. A lot of people are just like, yeah, but they don't actually think critical thinking. This is another reason I do these posts to just bring critical thinking back into style. Scrolling culture, just scroll and consume and scroll and consume. It kills critical thinking. And, and by critical, I don't mean like criticize. I mean, pull something apart. Feel it out. Does it actually hold water yeah. for you or in general? Is it oppressive to anyone? Is it non-inclusive? Again, these are my values. I care about those things. I want to be trauma-informed and I want to be social justice-informed in all of my work. And so that's also me putting my money where my mouth is, that staying in my lane, you know, doing my work, but applying what I've learned so that people know I see you. I am considering your lived experience, even though it's a very different and in some cases I haven't had it. I am aware of what you're experiencing. This just made me remember something I was about to, I was about to get to wrapping up, but then I just remembered another thing that I've loved about you and your sharing on social media is being vocal about what sort of uh, feedback you're not available for. Totally. And I think it's so valuable to be sharing that for social media feedback, but also in general. Yeah. Where I had something triggered the other day, whereas I wrote somebody a question about where's a good place to work on a coffee shop in LA and they answered me but then I was like okay but I might just take a hike I whatever and anyway they wrote back in a way of coaching Mm. yep and I was like don't fucking coach me right you asked me that and I I was like in the middle of something I was like yeah member it's a membership place oh it wasn't even like that it was like something else but yeah another thing but um but I was like oh like how do I reply to realize because it was the second time like two times in two weeks where I sent somebody a message and I, they wrote back in a way that was a coaching. Giving you advice you didn't ask for. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this gets under my skin. But I get it because you are a coach that is really doing well right now. And I bet you're highly in coaching mode. So you likely see messages like this and have your coaching suit on. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, I, 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 Trisha, will ask you if I want feedback, support, coaching. And I had to do that years ago with a friend for the same thing. Like he's yeah, the, like the yeah. community seeker, this, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would call to talk and he would keep like giving me. And I'd be like, hey, you didn't ask, bro. I actually just like want to be heard. Mm-hmm. If I, I and I know that you love to give support and that that's what you are for so many people. But I just like I'm answering your questions and want to be heard. Like I'll ask you if I want. Yeah. Support. And it was a challenging thing to do. And I actually never wrote back to that person to be like, don't coach me. Yeah. <laughs> because again, but it was like, so how do you do that? Or like, yeah, just well, what have you started to do? I sort of like talked about it, but like even in feedback for social media posts and such. I just like to preempt these things, right? Because people are so in their own worlds and people are so busy. And I do. I like to be generous and I like to be compassionate and give people the benefit of the doubt. So part of doing that is to just be really clear up front. So, uh, for example, something I shared last week was about getting back into a fitness program. After so many years in fitness and making it my work, I really, I, it's, it's taken me like almost uh, like six years now, five or six years 
to get back into a consistent program. And I've had many, many, many false starts, which I don't judge myself for. It was a whole process. But I shared something about that. And at the end of that post, I was like, um, so I'm not, I don't need any support or advice here, but if you want to share something from your own experience with any of what I just wrote about, please feel free in the comments. Because what I don't want is people to be like, you should do this workout. You should go to this gym. Have you tried this? Like, I didn't ask. I'm not interested. Did you also think that people might be then like, oh, you don't like your, yes. what are oh, you even looking that for? Too. You're healed. You look you great. You're beautiful. Accept yourself the way that it's like, I do accept myself the way I just told you that. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I don't want any of that. Because here's the thing, um, I'm pretty good at not caring what people think, but the mind will still like <laughs> grab onto and chew on that stuff or just be irritated. Yeah. And I don't need my energy yeah. to be off for the day because someone left some comment. I could just be like, hey, y'all, not available for these types of comments, but here's what I am available for. Easy. And that, so I just take responsibility for like how I want people to engage with me, which then also gives me permission. If someone does leave that kind of a comment, as soon as I see what it is, I just delete it. I don't respond. I don't let it get under my skin. I'm like, oh, they must not have read the whole thing. Delete. So what we do here. And I can't tell you like how often my peers and even people in the community, they'll be like, thank you so much for leading by example. Thank you for giving me permission to do this. Thank you for modeling this. Um, but also I feel so safe interacting with you because I know what, what works and what doesn't. I'm not like walking on eggshells because I know, okay, great. She told me not this, so I won't do that. You know? Yeah. No, it's interesting because even like, just, let's say just in social media world. So I sometimes, yeah, I'm like, we'll post my, a lot of my page is like, here's a message that's either supposed to be empowering or inspiring or to make you think about yourself because it's something that I came up and thinking mm -hmm. about now. And so, but I'm usually sharing it is something I'm feeling or have thought, but I'm putting it out there for you. And I don't know, people don't read the comment I leave or whatever. And people reply like, oh, thinking of you or like, if I'll post enough like, to remember, you are at love or whatever. And they'll like turn it into, oh, Trisha must be sad or and healing on something that. and offering me support. And I'm like, I understand you're kind hearted, but like. Because then it's awkward. Then do you respond like, and be like, no, I'm fine. I was just saying I'm this. talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. It's an interesting thing where it's like people feel the desire to speak up and want to what they think are doing help, support, right. love you. And that a lot of times that it can end up being. What I'm not looking for that. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, I guess just, just like, what do you think? Like to just for people to pay more attention to what you're putting out there, like you don't need to say things like what would you actually, if anyone really wants to dig into this, um, if you go to my Instagram, which is at Elizabeth D'Alto and one of the story highlights I have is called boundaries. There's actually a whole exchange that I saved that I had with someone. I literally post a picture in a story one night. I was about to go on a date and I was nervous and I was like, I took a picture and I was like, you know, like feeling a little nervous for this first date, haven't felt nervous for a date in a while, send Care Bear stares. So it was also just like kind of playful, right? Like I was yeah. fine. And someone wrote me a comment, like, just be yourself. And I was like, no, I asked for Care Bear stares. I didn't ask for advice to do the thing that I'm obviously going to do. Yeah. This is actually like what I do and what it's I like, teach. Like, do you know who I am? But it's not even like, you know, not in any no. ego way, but here's the thing. Here's why that is triggering for people sometimes. Because that was more about her than me. Right. That was actually her. She's putting herself in your shoes. No, I think she was trying to like be, it was a little condescending. Right. Oh, so she's trying to be like, I got you. It comes across as I was just being nice. Right. But like, again, if you really want to dig into it um, for the sake of time here, go, go read through the thread because then, because I had responded to her and I was like, Hey, you know, thank you so much. I wasn't looking for advice. Like, um, but I, I, I know you were just being supportive. Yeah. I literally was saying, you I get that you're trying to be that. 
Yeah, I was like, I get that you're trying to be supportive, but I wasn't asking, you know? And she was like, well, and she just went off on me. And I was like, that's cool. Like, I just started listening to your podcast. I was really liking you. And to see that this is how you treat people, she took it really personally. And I'm like, no, I'm literally telling you. I'm not available for that. I'm not available. I I didn't ask for that. Like, you came up in my DM giving me advice that I didn't ask for. Like, this is, and I'm giving, I'm just saying, like, here, actually, no, I don't do that, you know? And then I got all these comments from people and people were being triggered. And then they were like, actually, this is so important because this is about unsolicited feedback, yeah. right? I am always open to unsolicited feedback. If I have done something that has caused harm, if I'm in a place where I said something that was insensitive right. or offensive and someone's like, hey, that hurts me. I'm like, thank you for letting me know. I wasn't aware. Or like, just thanks for pointing it out. Now I know yeah. I won't do it again. Like, for example, on the podcast, this was several months ago. I used the term OCD as in like, I, don't, I, I, I was OCDing about it. And someone messaged me and said, hey, I'm doing this training. And, you know, that's a term like some people who really have OCD. That's not like that's not a verb. Yeah. Like they live with that day in and day they don't out. Like for people and, to just be- and I was like, oh, thank you so much. I hadn't even thought about it. I will never do that again. And I haven't, you know, and, and I even posted about it. I took a screenshot of that message and posted it on my own Instagram, because if I'm going to want other people to be accountable, I need to as well. And I was like, hey, y'all, heads up. So sorry if you heard this podcast episode and you have OCD and you were upset about that. Someone pointed it out to me. I apologize. Total blind spot. Never doing it again. On it now. Right? Boom. Done. And so it's like we want that kind of feedback always give me. Yeah. But when, it, I, when I didn't ask and when it's about my personal experience, hell no. Hell to the nah. Especially because this is my work. This is literally what I do. So you trying to like come up in here and like posture, or like condescend to me to in some way feel superior. Like I see it. I see right through it. Just like no, you're not getting your hit of superiority today on me. You know, what I, like it's so weird. But then the biggest thing that someone shared in response to that that was really illuminating for me is how this damages relationships. Because someone sent me a message and was like, thank you so much for pointing this out. What you've just helped me to realize is that I've actually distanced myself from most of my family because they do this to me all the time. And it feels so crappy to receive that I just don't tell them anything anymore. Yeah. So this like this damages relationships. Like that coaching person you were saying, you're like, now they've done this to me twice. And I actually didn't even respond. Like, look at that. That no, totally. Distance In my that mind, that's creating. I was like, I'm not even going to text her anymore. Right. right. What kind of there are triggers that go? Because like you said, even though I'm good, my yeah, my mind will run with something of like, does she think that right. I'm always looking to her? Right. For advice or like, right. does that mean I'm less than like, yeah, that my mind can spin totally. something very, very small. It was like a two sentence. This isn't just my thing, by the way. Like if you, there's there's articles on this. There's like there's all kinds of stuff about why like unsolicited feedback is just really not. It's actually not nearly as kind and generous or thoughtful or supportive as we think it is when yeah. we're doing it. It's, it's often more about the person offering it than it is about the person who they think they're helping. Yeah. And I actually try to, I don't even think, I think just in personal because of how I receive feedback. Yeah. So before even you highlighting that, that like when I'm scrolling on Instagram and, and see someone's post that like, maybe it's a post where they are like looking for support in something or they're posting about, you know, like they, someone died or like whatever it is when you like, I want to be there. Then I am constantly like, well, how do I want to show up? But like, how would I want to be received myself? And how exactly. is this not like, because people are being open and you want to support them in some way, but then also like to not show up as I know better than you. Right. Hey, this is Trisha, your joyologist. And I'm tell- <laughs> sending you this and message. And I'm here to tell you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's like that I am sensitive to 
Yeah. Especially via uh, writing something in a message, whether right. it's a text message right. or that, then right. somebody might read into this thinking I'm being condescending. hundred percent. Or like thinking I know better yeah. or I would deal with this better or let me tell you how to handle it yeah. when it's really just coming from my heart. And often- So sometimes it's just that realizing someone's crazy brain might turn these words into something funky. Right. <laughs> well, and again, it's like, especially if there's, like you're saying in text, they will put whatever tone the tone that they put on it says a lot more about them than actually what you wrote. Yeah. But sometimes I realize I, if I'm going to text something, I don't give it the proper time and space it needs. Yep. So I am also conscious to I'm not great. Yeah. In text and writing at all times. Same. Because I'm super direct. So often people will take something I said as abrasive and I'm like, nah, I was just being direct. It was yeah. just like Thank you for emojis for helping me lighten. Yeah. But yeah. still, sometimes yeah. I'm just like, oh, cool. I want to say this thing, but I'm also yes. here. And so it's, I don't have enough time. So then I'm like, I'm not even going to comment. I'll just, you know. <laughs> yeah. But then even then, some people think emojis are passive aggressive or they oh. misread them. I'm like, all right. This is why I like often, like if something is sensitive, I'll send a voice note. Yeah. Which has been, yeah. That, it, it's, that helps That is me. a little bit helpful. Okay. What is a go-to to raise your joy levels when you're feeling a little off? Or dancing. Dancing. Always dancing. Especially, I love Latin music. So salsa dancing, bachata. If I can like get out, I go dancing like two or three nights a week. Or I'll just bust some moves in my living room. Yeah. Nice. What? Um, I had you pick a keychain that you were most feeling you wanted to be reminded of. What did you pick and why? I picked I am magic because I am. And also really uh, dating has been a big thing in my life in the last year. After that last relationship we mentioned earlier, I took a, like a year and a half off from men very intentionally. And then once I got back into dating, I realized one of the things that's really important to me is to just be fully accepted. And I am very, uh, you know, some people call it woo-woo, spiritual, mystical, however you want to label it. Um, I'm really into the healing arts. Like, you know, you're sitting in my living room right now. There's like spiritual paraphernalia everywhere. Like, but it all actually has deep meaning to me, you know? So I don't need someone to get it, but I need someone to accept it and support it and not try to like debunk the things I believe in because I'm not going to do that to anyone else. And so... um, the thing I most fear will turn people off about me is my magic. So to just remember, like, I'm magic and, like, the people that are meant for me are going to, like, love that about me. Yeah. You know, not be like, what's going on with that huge Mother Mary statue in your living room? <laughs> love it. Love that. Yep. Um, okay. I had this thought a while ago and now I've been asking after I thought it, then I was like, oh, I can see so many ways to apply this in my life. <laughs> kind of annoying. <laughs> So I've been asking everybody else for how they can apply it in their life, which is what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. Mm -hmm. And so where you can apply that to your own life, what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Oh, for me right now, this is getting back into a fitness program, right? So it's, it's really actually best for me. I got injured twice in the last seven months because I wasn't in, like I didn't have this, the same physical strength and endurance that I used to. And so, um, it would be easier for me, which it has been for the last several years to just not work out as much and chalk it up to being like, I want to dance more and I want to do this. But like my, because I desire to do these other things and have like the physical strength and balance and capabilities, um, I, I do need to work out. I need to rebuild my muscle, like my core strength and things like this. So like functionally, what is best for me is to like be weightlifting three days a week. And so much easier to skip it, but definitely better for me to do it. Do you feel like it's like almost harder for you now to commit to it because you like have this full embodiedness? So it's not like, you know, like, no, I just needed help. Um, I part of me, I think 
because I used to be a personal trainer, I felt like I shouldn't hire someone to help me with this because I know right. it. But okay. I hate, I, even when I was a trainer, I hated programming workouts. So uh, last year, uh, one of my clients in my business immersion was, a, was an amazing uh, strength coach, former um, D1 uh, athlete and coach herself. And so I'm like, I'm going to hire Allison to make my workouts. And because and for the accountability too, right? Yeah. We have this cool app we use. It's called True Coach. I get to mark off. I'm a Virgo. I love a checklist. So I get to mark things off. And so I'm doing it now. I'm showing up. Got it. Okay. The last thing is the name of the podcast is Claim It because I feel it's up to us that we have to claim it all for ourselves. We have to claim jo our joy, our worth, our enoughness mm -hmm. that, you know, as much as people are giving us things sometimes or we're searching for it, that we can't really feel it unless we are claiming it for ourselves. Yeah. So what are you claiming for yourself right here, right now? Ooh, this is a great question. And I really, I'm going to stick on the dating theme because I actually recently met this incredible man that is so much, he embodies so much more of what I've been saying I want. And so the fact that I have met him, like whether he ends up being someone that like I end up in a relationship with or not, it's just like proof that like the work that I've been doing on myself for these last couple of years after that relationship is working. So I'm really claiming like I am much more, I am much healthier within myself. I am not codependent anymore. Like I can make better choices and I'm like really ready for some like hot and healthy and holy love. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited for you. Thanks. Thanks for opening up. Thanks for coming over and chatting with me. All right. To learn more about Elizabeth D'Alto and what she is up to, her website is wildsoulmovement.com. You can find all about her podcast, workshops, resources, and more there. She's at Elizabeth D'Alto on Instagram. Also, check out her podcast, Truth Telling with Elizabeth D'Alto. She's like over 300 episodes deep. So much good stuff. Of course, find me, yourdwellogist.com. I'm at yourdwellogist on Instagram. And make sure to also follow this month's partner at SaltCo with two A's. And check out their post. Check out their feed. Spread some awareness to period poverty and what they are up to. and make sure to check out my feed as I am doing a giveaway the same day this episode goes live with them. Of course, please share the episode, tag us, message us, rate and review this podcast because that means a lot to me. And it also does help to get the podcast into more eyes and ears of people around the world. And if you leave me a review, screenshot it and email it to podcast at yourdwellogist.com. I pick someone every week who has emailed me their review to win a box full of goodies from my product-based shop with all sorts of affirmation deck, affirmation mugs, notebooks, journals, magnets, and of course, the keychains that I have each guest choose from. Thank you for being here and for listening. And I do hope you take some of the things that we talk about and see, hmm, where can I apply this to my own life? Think about what are you claiming for yourself right here, right now?